0: Well, good morning family. I am so excited and grateful that you're here this morning. Uh, today we're going to begin a new series of messages that we are calling Meet Jesus. And over the next several weeks we're going to be looking at the lives of men and women who have had one-on-one face-to-face encounters with Jesus. And so... Before we begin, I want you to consider most of us know how it feels to have a celebrity, a famous person, an athlete, a movie star, a a television actor whom we really look up to and admire. And I would love to be able to go around the the room this morning and be able to ask you um, if you were able to meet any celebrity. Who would you want to meet? And if we went around the room, everybody would probably have a different person that they wanted to meet. I don't know if any of you are like me, but when I travel, when Kim and I get to travel, especially if we're traveling in a major U.S. city or, or if we're traveling through an airport, we love to fly when we travel. And if we, if we ever go through an airport, does anybody else... Watch for famous people like I do. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I love. I love my my radar is on, especially when I'm in an airport because you see social media posts all the time of uh, people who just by happenstance run into a celebrity or a famous person and get a picture made with them and that kind of thing. And I just think that's so cool. So I'm I'm constantly watching and looking to see if there are famous people around. Uh, especially if we're in a big city. Um, and lots of us have stories about famous people that we've met uh, like that in uh, big cities or in airports. I, there's there's one that I remember, and we really didn't even actually meet this person. But it was so cool to come so close to meeting them. Um, the last time we were in um, New York City with our friends at New Beginnings Church in Brooklyn, Pastor Jamie Zalea. Uh, the last time we had our students up there, we uh, went on a sightseeing adventure for one day in Manhattan. And as we were walking around the city, Kim actually, um, you know, when you're walking through New York, it's just pack-to-pack, shoulder-to-shoulder people. And as, as we were walking through the city, she, she bumped into a lady on the sidewalk and said oh excuse me and just kind of brushed past her said excuse me and kept going and then once we got past her she stopped and she turned around and she said I think that was Lori Laughlin. and if if you don't know who Lori Laughlin is Lori Laughlin is Aunt Becky from Full House and so we she, she ran into her Literally on the street, bumped into her, said she was sorry, kept going. Didn't even have a conversation with her, but sh- she was pretty sure that's who it was. And so we were all talking, and we were all excited. Oh, that was Aunt Becky. That was Aunt Becky. And, and, and then later on in the evening, we were looking at social media posts, and we saw a picture that Candace Cameron Bure had posted on her Instagram. And it was a picture of her and Lori Laughlin going to a Broadway musical in Manhattan on that same night. And we could even tell that she was wearing the same clothes. Kim said, that's what she was wearing. She had the same clothes on. And so we knew that we had bumped into a celebrity. We didn't even get to talk to her. But how excited we were, and we were talking about it for uh, the rest of the evening and, and on into the week. So all of us have stories. And I want you to think about... A story that you have of of meeting a famous person or a celebrity or somebody that you admire. And I want you to think about this. Answer this question for yourself. Did that meeting with that person do anything to really change your life in any way? Did it have any sort of lasting impact on you as a person? It could have. It very well could have. But most of the time... And maybe for most of us, it was nothing more than a really exciting moment. And then afterward, the effects faded away and became nothing more than a fun story that we could tell to other people. Through this series, we're going to hear stories of men and women Who came face to face with Jesus. And the thing about coming face to face with Jesus is this it is still true today as it was in the day that Jesus walked the earth that when anyone comes face to face with the man Jesus Christ, they are never the same again. There is a big difference between meeting a celebrity and meeting God in the flesh. And as we go through these stories, we'll discover that some of these people embraced Jesus. They embraced his message. They, they embraced what he came to bring. And then others rejected him. And they walked away from Jesus in unbelief. But it doesn't matter whether they embraced him or whether they rejected him. They walked away different. They were never the same Again, and that's still true for us today. So, this morning we're going to begin by looking at a story of a man named Nicodemus that's in John chapter 3. Now, as you're turning to John chapter 3, the entire story of Nicodemus is in verses 1 through 21 of chapter 3. But for time's sake, you're welcome, we are not going to do all 21 verses. We're not going to look at the whole story this morning. We're going to focus on the first eight verses of that story. So if you would look with me in John chapter 3 beginning in verse 1. I'll be reading to you from the NIV and it says, now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, rabbi, We know that you are a teacher who has come from God. For no one can perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. Now I want us to stop there for a moment. There are some things about Nicodemus we need to know. We we need some background into who he really was. So I want to tell you a little bit about who he was. Uh, What does history say? What do the scriptures say? First of all, we know that he was a Pharisee because John tells us this in the text. But what exactly was a Pharisee? There were lots of religious groups and leaders in that day. Who were the Pharisees? You have to know that the Jews held the law of God, which was the Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament. They held the law to be the most sacred thing in the world, and they believed that their goal was total obedience to that law. They believed that the Torah contained everything a person needed to know to live a life of obedience to God. But what you'll find in the history of the people is over over time, they had such a zeal to honor the law of God that what happened was they began to take the principles in the law of God And decide that those principles needed to be interpreted and transformed into a list of rules and regulations for every conceivable situation that a Jew may find themselves in on a daily basis. And so what they did was they took the law of God as God gave it, the principles in the law, and they expounded on it and they made it into a list of legalistic rules and regulations ...and lorded it over the people. So there was a group of men that were called the scribes. And we, we, we read about the scribes in Scripture. Jesus had an encounter with the scribes. These were the men who dedicated their, their lives to working out this list of rules... ...that became known as the scribal law. Now the Pharisees were different from the scribes. The scribes were the guys who would take God's law... And come up with the interpretation of what rules, how in in this situation, how would this principle be interpreted. And they came up with this crazy list of hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of, of specific rules that the people could and couldn't do. And so the Pharisees were the men who had dedicated their entire lives to keeping and observing every detail of that scribal law. It was their calling. It was what they dedicated their lives to. And not only did they seek to follow all of these rules themselves, but in arrogance and piety, they, they made themselves the examples to all the other Jews and, and obligated them to follow their example. So Nicodemus was one of these men. He was one of these men who had given his entire life to following all of those hundreds and hundreds of scribal laws. Now, not only was Nicodemus a Pharisee, but he was also, John says, a member of the Jewish ruling council. That was the Sanhedrin. And you've heard of the Sanhedrin before. Um, the Pharisees, you can think of the Pharisees as almost a political party, like we think of Democrats and Republicans. The Pharisees uh, were like a religious uh, political group. And history says that there probably were around 6,000 Pharisees at any given point. 6,000 men that made up this group of Pharisees. Now the Sanhedrin was only made up of 71 men. Of those 6,000, 71 were chosen and, and they were considered what we would call like the Supreme Court of the Jews. These were the men who who were the ruling governors over the Jews. And so um, not only was Nicodemus a Pharisee, which made him a part of that group of 6,000, he was also a member of the Sanhedrin. So he was one of that group of 71. So Nicodemus, also from the Gospels, we we can conclude that he was a wealthy man. And that he also, history says, he, he likely belonged to a very distinguished Jewish family. So Nicodemus was a part of the Jewish religious elite. His words and the example that he carried had authority among the people. He was an important man. He was a powerful man. And yet, John tells us that he comes to speak with Jesus at night. And there's likely a few reasons that he does this. One is he didn't want anyone to think that his coming to Jesus or um, his uh, being associated with Jesus at all was carried the approval of the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrins, part of their job was to examine and call out false prophets and false teachers. And that's obviously part of what they had against Jesus. They were, they were coming against him. And so he he didn't want that to send a message that the Sanhedrin was supportive of Jesus. But also it's probably because he feared the rest of the Sanhedrin and the rest of the Pharisees. That they would be angry at the fact that he would even approach Jesus. But also I think probably what Nicodemus was thinking is that if he could get Jesus alone at night by himself with just the two of them, that that would be the best time that both of them could spend together, one-on-one, and he could really have Jesus' full attention, and he could give his full attention to Jesus. And so, the big deal here is not that Nicodemus comes secretly to Jesus. The big deal is that a man like Nicodemus comes to Jesus at all in the first place. And... He admits to Jesus in verse 2 that he, along with others, have seen something in Jesus. They've seen credibility in him, in his message, in what he does. And he's curious. Nicodemus comes as a very curious man. He knows of the prophecies of the Messiah. He knows what the Scriptures say about the coming Messiah. And he's trying to figure out, is this guy possibly the Messiah that the Scriptures talk about? And so he comes very sincerely curious to Jesus. And listen to what Jesus tells him. Jesus replied in verses 3 and 4. Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born when they are old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Now Jesus, in this encounter with Nicodemus, he he sees very quickly that Nicodemus has a sincere desire to experience the fullness of the kingdom of God. Nicodemus saw a power and a knowledge in Jesus that he had never seen before in anyone else, and he came to Jesus looking for insight. And remember, Nicodemus has dedicated his entire life to keeping the law, obeying the scribal law for the purpose of seeing the kingdom of God. And so he comes to Jesus curious, as if to say, if anyone can tell me how I can change my life, I've dedicated my life to obeying the law. And if anyone can tell me if I'm missing something or there's something on top of that that I need to be doing so that I can make sure that I see the kingdom of God, I think this guy may be able to tell me. I believe Jesus can tell me. So Jesus begins by saying something very important to Nicodemus. Jesus, in this statement, says to Nicodemus, seeing the kingdom has nothing to do with what you do for God, but it has everything to do with what God does for you. There are so many in the church today who are seeking the church for some great insight in how they can better themselves and make themselves more pleasing to God. And this is is what Nicodemus is coming to Jesus for. And Jesus just simply tells Nicodemus, stop. Stop doing that. Stop trying to make yourself better and make yourself acceptable to God. Here's an important, here's, here's a phrase that I want you to remember this morning. We can't carry out our own salvation. We can only be carried into His salvation. Pay attention to that. We can't carry out our own salvation. We can only be carried into His salvation. See, in this one statement about being born again from Jesus, he completely tears down all of the years of self-effort and the outward compliance that Nicodemus had dedicated his life to. His seeing the kingdom would have nothing to do with the fact that he was a Jew. It would have nothing to do with the fact that he was a Pharisee or a member of the Sanhedrin. Jesus tells him, Basically, Nicodemus, everything you've done so far hasn't gotten you one inch closer to the kingdom of God. Now just just stop for a second and think about what a blow that would have been to Nicodemus. Everything that he had dedicated his life to for years and years and years has just been torn down. And Jesus says all of it has been for nothing. Jesus says you must be born again. Think about this for a minute. How much effort did you put into being born? Like when you were, were in your mother's womb as, an infant, as, a, as a fetus and, and as an infant growing, was there anything that you did any effort that you put into the process to make sure that you would be born the way you were supposed to be born no there was nothing that you could do it was a process that you had to go through and be carried through you had your your effort it wasn't even needed The same is true in the new birth that Jesus talks about here. It's not something that we can produce. We can only experience it. So Jesus is telling Nicodemus that even with his sincere obedience and his heartfelt desire to please God with his life, he's not in the kingdom. And nothing that he's done so far with his religious faithfulness has gotten him any closer. Notice verse 4, how Nicodemus replies to Jesus when he says, you must be born again. How can someone be born when they are old? Nicodemus asks. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Now, y'all, Nicodemus is confused here, but Nicodemus isn't dumb. Sometimes Sometimes we read this story and we think, Wow, did Nicodemus really think that Jesus was talking about a physical rebirth? That you literally had to climb back into your mother's womb when you're old and and be born physically a second time? Like That's silly. Why would he think that? Nicodemus was confused, but it wasn't because of that. He He was a smart guy. Nicodemus was a highly educated man, so it's very unlikely that his confusion came from this illustration that Jesus used, this this born-again statement. Uh, He wasn't confused about the physical or spiritual nature of what Jesus was talking about. Nicodemus knows that he's using new birth as an analogy to describe that transformation. And so it's more likely that he's speaking to Jesus in the same context Of that analogy that Jesus is using. And so he's not really asking Jesus, do I have to physically be reborn? He's asking him, Jesus, do you mean I have to start over? Like, how can I start over? You mean I have to go, just go back to the very beginning of all my life. Of all the effort that I've put into my life. In my obedience to God. Go back to the very beginning of that. Like, I've come a long way. Like, do you know what I've done, Jesus? Do you know what my life has been full of and how hard I have tried to be obedient to God? And you mean to tell me I have to go back to the very beginning before any of that and just start over? Nicodemus is coming to grips with the fact that Wow, Jesus, you're telling me that my entire life of trying to please God hasn't accomplished anything? And this is really confusing for Nicodemus. And he he realizes here that what Jesus is really asking him to do is completely, humanly impossible. And you know, it's really confusing today. Today for many people in the church as well, you see, people, people come into the church and they come looking for how to know God. Why does anybody come to church? Because they want to know, how do I know God? How do I connect with God? And when they come into the church, they see us and they see a lot of doing. They see a lot of activity. And so they naturally assume, if I can come in and I can fall in line by doing the same thing that all of these people are doing. They have a relationship with God. So if I can come in and do the same things that they're doing, then maybe that will mean I can have a relationship with God too. But here's the other big statement I want you to remember. Salvation isn't something we produce. It's something we can only receive. We can't produce it. We can only receive it. And the first step in receiving it is going back to the beginning of all of our self-effort and putting it down. And approaching Jesus, not with a handful of good works and religious deeds and and church attendance and, and all of the things that we think can get us into the kingdom, it means going back to the beginning and dropping all of that and coming to Jesus with absolutely nothing in our hands. And Jesus continues here and he, and he tries to help Nicodemus understand because he knows Nicodemus is confused at this point. Look, look with me at verse 5. Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom unless they are born of water, And the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my sayings. You must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. In verse 5, Jesus tries to help Nicodemus understand by describing the new birth as being through water and spirit. And what Jesus was likely trying to do was take Nicodemus back to the Old Testament scriptures that he already knew so well and, and pull out the imagery, an imagery that was found in the Old Testament of spiritual renewing and cleansing that the Holy Spirit does. When we are born again, I want you to go back, uh, listen to Ezekiel chapter 36. This is likely the passage that Jesus may have had in mind when he says this about the water and the spirit with Nicodemus. Ezekiel 36, 24 through 27. This is what God speaks over Israel For I will take you out of the nations, I will gather you from all the countries and bring you back into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols, and I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Now go back and and pay attention to verse 27 here. God says, And I will put my spirit in you. He puts his spirit in us and will move you to follow my decrees. And be careful to keep my laws. He doesn't say, follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. And then I'll put my spirit in you. He says, I will put my spirit in you and I will move you to follow my decrees and keep my laws. Our ability to live lives that honor God doesn't come from our own self-effort. It comes from the work of the Holy Spirit that God places in us, and the Holy Spirit, as we live, He moves us to obey the decrees and the laws of God. This is the same thing that the Holy Spirit does in us. We can't do it on our own. Jesus says that the flesh only gives birth to flesh. The flesh can only... Change the flesh. And the spirit is the only one who can change the spiritual state of someone's mind and heart. And, that, and when we think about it, that makes complete sense. Why do successful people fall into deep depression and suicide? We see it all the time. We see in the news pictures of celebrities and famous people who seem to have everything they could possibly want and need. And they lose all their hope and they take their lives. It's because material things can't produce emotional fulfillment. The best that material things can do is create more material things. If you have lots of money, which is a material thing, the best thing that money can do for you is get you more material things. Money gives birth to more material. Or... It can produce a fake fulfillment that isn't really real. Religion alone is very similar. Religion in and of itself is our, is our best effort by definition. It's religion is our, by itself is our effort to try to get to God. And in and of itself, that effort can't produce salvation. Religion by itself only creates more religion. Flesh only gives birth to more flesh. Or it can create a fake salvation and a fake assurance that isn't real. True salvation only comes from the Holy Spirit's work of transformation in our hearts as we respond to the invitation of the gospel. The Holy Spirit begins that work in us by showing us our need for that new birth when we hear the gospel and he draws us to the invitation of Jesus to believe and repent. And there's something else. No one can bring conviction on themselves either. That's why Jesus compares the work of the Holy Spirit to the wind in this text. We can feel the effects of it in our lives. But we can't tell where it's coming from or where it's going. We can only, we can't predict the work of the Holy Spirit. We can't predict what he's going to do. We can't control what he does. He comes and goes as he pleases like the wind. And we can only experience his presence when, when we're in it we we experience it when he moves into our lives and he reveals himself to us and he reveals the truth of the gospel and he reveals our need when he calls us into our salvation we can only respond when we feel that invitation awaken in our hearts So Nicodemus is the example of the lost person who is trying to get to God by being religious. And Jesus very plainly tells him, you can't. We can't carry out our own salvation. Remember, we can only be carried into his salvation salvation. You know, John never tells us when or where that transformation took place in Nicodemus' life, but, but we're pretty certain that it did. Because later on in John, when Jesus comes to the end of his life, to the crucifixion, his death and burial, we see that Nicodemus is one of the people who were responsible for caring for Jesus in his death. And and burying his body, Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea. So because of that, we can draw the conclusion that at some point, Nicodemus made that decision to be born again. He, he, made, um, he experienced the new birth at some point. Today's invitation is for you to discern if the faith that you're holding on to is real and comes from the work of the Holy Spirit in you, or if it's made up of your best effort to try to be Christian on your own and to produce salvation that God will accept. If that's true this morning, Jesus has a very clear explanation for you. You can't do it. Only through the work of the Holy Spirit as He moves in your life and moves in your heart to accept Jesus' invitation. That is the only way we can be born again.